Good evening. What a great day it has been to serve God. Amen. Had just an awesome morning and uh, had a great opportunity to meet. Um, had a lot of visitors this morning, had a good, good crowd, and then, of course, had uh, Moira's baptism, which uh, is always just an incredible, incredible time, and especially um, situations like that where, you know, we've kind of been, I'll be a very small part uh, in the big scheme of, of people's spiritual walk, but have kind of seen her from the beginning and then been able to, to see that through, through to fruition and, and God working in her life. And so we were just uh, incredibly blessed to be a part of that. I, I know I was incredibly encouraged, and I hope you were too. Um, tonight we are um, starting a new series on Sunday nights, and we're going to call it GLOW. And the idea is that, that God calls us to be a light in a very dark world. And so we're going to look at, at ways in which we can do that. Um, and tonight we're going to look at an example of, of, of actually an Old Testament figure that it was an incredible light in a very dark, dark situation. Um, i got to tell you this story. I don't think, I asked Kyle if I had ever told this from the pulpit, and I, could, I can't think that I had. Um, it's probably my favorite story uh, that I have in regards to standing out in Christian culture and situations. Uh, many, of y'all, many of y'all know that I've got a very extensive camp, church camp background, and of course love come out of Bible camp, but even when we were in Kentucky, went to, to camps and things. And um, One year we had a, a kid that had been coming to church with us and was part of our youth group named Daniel. Daniel had never been to church camp before. His family was relatively new to church at all, but like we do here, we, we really wanted him to come to camp. And you know, they asked, "What kind of um, things do you need?" And we said, "You know, bring sheets and bedding and all the same stuff that we take to PBC." So he was in my cabin, and we got to camp, and Daniel was making his bed, and, and I couldn't quite see what it was, but it, it was it was kind of a dark um, comforter, and he ended up walking away, and he had brought. Budweiser, King of Beers, everything to camp. Pillowcases, comforters, sheets, um, was all Budweiser themed. And so we we ended up, I called him the king uh, for the longest time. I mean, until he left to go, he was in high school and his family moved. But I still know him as the king. Um, my favorite story of somebody standing out in Christian culture. But we, we laugh at stuff like that. But we are called to stand out to that level, um, not for that reason, but we're called to stand out that much to where people want to talk in a positive way and say they're different. Um, there's something different about these people. And so we're going to look a lot today in the Old Testament, uh, almost exclusively in the Old Testament, quite a bit of scripture, reading through a story uh, of two individuals that you probably know very well. Um, turn over with me to Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start. I wanted to look through, because the obvious Old Testament story for standing out, glowing, being a light in a dark situation, would be the story of Joseph. Uh, But I promised, made a promise to Kim Cook that I would not touch the story of Joseph uh, well into the summer so she could have plenty of time and get you all fresh in regards to Joseph for the ladies' day. So I elected to go a little bit different route, and, and and I'm glad I did. Because the story of Joseph is incredible. And, and again, without touching on her thing too much, you know, you read through the story of, of, a, of a kid that was sold into slavery in a, in a culture that he didn't know, 
and, and ultimately faith through God led him to rise through these ranks and ultimately save not only him, his family, a nation. I mean, it is truly, the story alone should cause you to want to be at the ladies' day just to dive into the story of Joseph. So certainly he was a light in a dark world, but I want to look tonight at, at a different individual, a couple different individuals, um, some of which who were willing to follow and be a light, and some who were hesitant. And I want to see kind of some of God's reaction to this. Let's look in Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. We're going to read about Abram, the Old, Old Testament um, story of a man named Abram. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. He's talking to Abram and he's saying, listen, I've got a promise for you. I'm going to make you great, but I need you to leave everything that you know, everything that you're comfortable with, everything that you think is the status quo. And I want you to go to somewhere um, where that's not the case. But you notice, and this was not, I'm sure, by mistake, he didn't tell Abram exactly where he was going. In fact, we don't know the exact time, but it wasn't until Genesis 15, so a couple chapters later before God ever clues Abram in as to where he is going. I want you to start to think about this, this idea of God's calling. We're talking about next steps on Sunday morning, and I, I purposefully kind of tied these ideas together because many times they go hand in hand. We're called to go out in ministry and do these things, and God gives us an idea of what he wants us to be a part of, but he doesn't always give us as crystal clear a, a direction or a plan as we would like, and that's kind of where Abram's at. I want to flip ahead into Genesis 15, when we're going to see what, uh, what is going on and what God is talking about. Genesis 15, we'll start in verse 13. It says, then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. I wanted to start with Abram, and, and that's actually not going to be the focus of our story tonight. We're actually going to look more at the story of Moses as a child, and then coming up into his 80s when God really calls him out to do something that he doesn't feel like he's qualified to do, to go back and redeem and help his people um, when, when he doesn't feel like he's qualified to do it. But I want you to notice and start with the story of Abram. Abram, of course, is an incredible man of faith that we read about through the Old Testament and even into the New. But this right here mimics the way you and I interact with God in regards to faith, next steps, being a light in a dark world. God gives us a, this is what generally, the 30,000 foot view, this is what I want you to go be about. I'm probably, God doesn't give as many of the details as we would always like, but he promises us the end result ahead of time. We know, we looked at it a little bit this morning, that if we follow God, if we follow Christ, that he's always going to be with us, He's never going to forsake us, and that anything we do in God's name will bear fruit to some degree. He says, you plant the seed, and I, God, will provide that increase. We don't always get the details that we want, but just like he says here, he says, I'm going to punish the nation that's, that they serve as slaves, and afterward, they're going to come out with great possessions. They're going to come out on the other end of this because I, God, am involved. 
And and I want you to kind of know ahead of time, that is the timeline. For the next four weeks, we're going to look at um, looking through how to be a light in a dark world. But the, the, the pattern, the cadence that Abram has offered is the same one that we're offered. God says, I'm going to send you out into the world. I want you to do things in my name. I'm always not going to give you the amount of detail that you probably would prefer, but that's because I want to require a greater measure of faith from you. So I'm not going to give you all the details that you want or feel like you need, but if you do it and you follow my example, my way, you're going to come out on the the right end of things. You're going to come out with great possession. Now, again, we're talking about spiritual blessings, spiritual possessions. But that's what he's saying. You're going to come out on the right side of this if you follow me. Now turn over with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be flipping around quite a bit in the Old Testament. But Exodus chapter 2 is a story that that many of us us are familiar with. Um, Talking about Pharaoh. And if you remember that um, at the time there was an order put out that all of the firstborn um, boys were to be killed. This was the time of Moses. And so in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby. They were going down into the Nile and bathing with her servants. Pharaoh's daughter did. And found this baby floating in the Nile, coming up. And again, at the time, boys of that age were supposed to be killed. But Pharaoh's daughter found this baby. And the, the way it works, just for uh, just to kind of summarize the story, many of us know this story, but, but Moses' um, siblings were following kind of along, and they found this baby, and then they kind of pop out, and she says, um, the, the sibling says, hey, why don't I go find a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby? And Pharaoh's daughter ends up thinking, well, what a great idea. In fact, if you'll do that, I will pay her. And the sibling knows the perfect person is going to go find their mother, Moses' mother, who ultimately gets to nurse and to a degree raise uh, Moses, but, but ultimately would have to give him back. But Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby back and nursed him. Moses, the, the name Moses in Hebrew, means one who was drawn out. And then Moses in the Egyptian dialect of the time almost perfectly mimics the word for son. So Moses, both in Hebrew and kind of a combination of Hebrew and Egyptian, because he has Hebrew heritage, he was a Hebrew child, and he's going to ultimately know that as he grows up. He knows he's not Egyptian, but he has, he grows up as an Egyptian uh, man with all of the royalties that come with being associated with the Pharaoh and all the things. So Moses' name literally meant son who was drawn out. And, and, and Moses is ultimately going to to follow God. He knows he's Hebrew. He knows the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. He knows all these things, but he's about to interact with that God in a very real way. In Exodus chapter 2, just a little bit further on, starting in verse 23, it says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. So the king that made the initial uh, proclamation that all of the boys were to be killed. That, that king, that Pharaoh, dies. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. I want you to remember this verse as we keep going. And I want you to remember a couple specific words in here. 
God heard them, God saw them, and God knew what they were about. God knew what they needed. And ultimately, God is going to use a man, Moses, who doesn't think he's capable. Here in a little bit, here when he's probably about 40, he's going to go and see an Egyptian taskmaster beating a, a Hebrew uh, citizen, a Hebrew person, and he gets so angry over that, knowing his Hebrew heritage, that he ultimately kills the Egyptian and, and then decides he's going to run away. And he, and he runs not just a little bit away, he runs way far away and, and finds a wife and settles down and ends up becoming a shepherd and, and settles down into that life. But ultimately, God is going to call him in, in what is a very dark time in, God, in Israel's history, in God's people's history. This is when they were, they were very cruelly enslaved by the Egyptian people. Um, and, and so God is going to use Moses to do a work that, that Moses really doesn't feel like he's capable of doing. Now, if you'll flip over just a little bit to Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to read a story that you and I are very familiar with. This is the story of, of Moses and the burning bush. So Moses is, in starting in verse 1, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, if you look at and find an ancient Old Testament map, you'll see that, that Midian was a great deal away from Egypt. So he had really flew the coop to get to Midian from Egypt, where he was. That's kind of the way he wanted it. He, he got so caught up, he killed that Egyptian person, even with his royal uh, lineage and things like that. He says, I've got to get away from all of this. And that's what he does. So he goes to Midian. He had led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At, at this, Moses did uh, hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now I want you to kind of connect all of these dots because you and I have a, a tendency when we're thinking about next steps, we're thinking about being lights in our world, we have a tendency to think, well, I am not good enough for this particular situation. It's not that we don't recognize the needs around us. You know, we, it's not that we don't see, I, I know I've got neighbors on each side that don't have a church home and I'd love for them to cut. It's not that we don't recognize needs. But what you and I do is get in a bad habit of saying, you know, I see the need, but there's got to be somebody more qualified. 
And we'll even say really good things like, well, I want to make a great first impression for the church, and I don't know if I can do that. What if they ask questions I don't know the answer to? What if this? What if this? What if this? Well, you're going to see Moses do a whole lot of that, and God's not going to take any of it. In fact, finally, at some point, Moses just says, God, you have got to find somebody else. God, will you pardon me? And and a lot of times we'll read through that and think that the the word pardon there is talking about like we might some say, excuse me, pardon me. That's not what it's saying. The Hebrew word there literally means God, uh, let me out of this. It's talking about pardoning where we would use the word pardon for criminals. Saying, God, wipe my record away from this. There's got to be somebody else that's capable and God is, 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 in a loving way, but in a very stern way, going to say, Moses, listen, I know you think you can't talk well. I know you think you're not capable of this, but who, when, when people even speak, who is it that, that allows that to be? Who put the words in their mouth to begin with? And of course, Moses is eventually going to see that God is in complete control here. And, and I hope that that is going to be where we're going to find ourselves tonight. Moses was 80 years old had run away from a country that he, that he grew up in, even though he kind of had an untraditional childhood and, and even adulthood up until that point, being a Hebrew, raised as an Egyptian with, with that lineage that he did have. And then in Exodus chapter 3, in verse 11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I know this sounds familiar to you because each and every one of us have said this in some form or fashion. Uh, It might have sounded a little bit different. We might have articulated it a little bit different. But we've said this from time to time. We said, God, who am I to to go and do this? Who am I to invite so-and-so to church? Who am I to tell them about what I know about Jesus Christ? Who am I to go do this or that? Who am I to serve in this ministry? That's what he's saying. God, who am I to go and talk to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's doing a thing that God asks, and, and you know, we read this story sometimes and think, well, you know, this is, this is Pharaoh. This is the, the Israelites. This is huge. But you realize that all this is to God is there's some people that proclaim His name, that He loves, that He wants taken care of, and that He wants Moses to go get involved. That is exactly what He has for us. There's people in our life that He loves, that He wants to be involved with, and He's saying, I want you to go be the liaison between them and me. That's all He's asking Moses to do, and that's all He asks us to do. But like Moses, many times we have every excuse under the sun. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Not to mention that all of this is happening supernaturally through a bush. Yet Moses is still, I don't know. God, I'm not real sure. I don't know. There's got to be somebody else. But he's saying, this is a sign. I'm going to be with you. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is one of the very earliest when we hear Jesus talk about the I am's. I am the way. I am the vine. I am all of these things. This is God originally saying, I am who I am. In Hebrew, this is a very similar, not exactly, 
Hebrew and Greek are very different, but this is very similar to the when Jesus says the I am statements. Very similar to what God is saying here. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel. Say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what you have, what you have been done to you in Egypt. I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians. I want you to think about this, because put yourself in Moses' shoes. God's saying, I've got a task for you. I want you to go be my light in a very dark situation. My people have been enslaved. I've seen what the Egyptians have done, and I'm tired of this. I want you to go get them out. I've got a land that I'm promising you. Moses says, who am I? But he says, listen, not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to happen. Then, and, and, I'm going to, and he promises his supernatural um, power here. He's saying, listen, I am going to strike down the Egyptian forces so that they're already going to be ready and know that what you're talking about is for real. That, that who you are talking about, the God of Abraham, of Jacob, and of Isaac is the real deal. Right after this in, in Exodus 4. I want you to, to keep all this in your back of your mind. God is, is in literally talking to Moses and saying, this is my plan for you. Yet, Notice what, what Moses' response is in, in chapter 4, Exodus 4.1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord, the creator of the universe, has promised him success and how it is going to happen. And the first thing he can possibly say is, What if it doesn't work? I hear what you're saying, but what if you're wrong? What if they don't hear me? What if they don't believe? You and I have been there. We have been there more times than we care to count where God promises us success. We talked about that through our prayer series, that if we pray the way that God has asked us to pray with the power of God, that He will put success in our path. Not to say that it will all be perfect, but He says, if you do things in my name, I will be there with you. It's what He promises Moses. But Moses is, 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 is asking the human question, the, 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 the humanness of Moses is truly coming out here and saying, God, what if you're wrong? What if you're, not to mention that he is talking to a bush at this moment, but he's saying, what if you are wrong, God? What if they don't believe? 
You know, at this point, I want you to think about, and, and there are multiple stories in Scripture where this is the case. Even we can look at the selection of the apostles and we, and we, we kind of get a sense of this story. But here we've got Moses, an 80-year-old man, who by his own admission here in a moment is not the most eloquent speaker, is probably not your first pick for, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. You've probably got one shot at this. Go talk to Pharaoh and make it happen. Moses probably is not your guy. At any point, God could have said, I'm going to find some other 80-year-old shepherd to do this because Moses is starting to be a pain in the keister. But God's a lot more patient than you and I and, and, and is willing to, to put it out, push uh, through this. But think about this. Moses is not your top pick. And I think God picked it that way because God wants Moses to recognize that this will work. This is going to happen. And it's certainly not because of you. It's because I'm involved. I am telling you it's going to happen. And if you have faith in me, it will work out. Not because of anything you can do. He certainly could have found anybody else to do this, but he wanted to pick Moses. First off, he knew Moses' heart and what Moses would ultimately become to the Israelites throughout his lifetime and through his ministry and things like this. But he's saying, I want somebody that isn't on, on, on first glance is not your first pick because I want ultimately for God, for me, to receive the glory when this does work, when it does happen. Exodus 4 and verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Moses has a similar feeling of snakes that I do. I always laugh when I read this because you know God could have done anything to prove this to Moses. I think he was kind of toying around with him at this point, kind of getting a little fed up with some of his sass. So he says, Fine, I'm going to make a big snake up here. Um, but nonetheless, he says, what have you got in your hand? You got a staff, throw it on the ground, it becomes a snake. Moses ran away like a little girl, and then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff. He said, this, said the Lord, is so that you may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. God is saying, listen, if they don't listen, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empower you to make sure that they do. Now, every time I read this, you know, I, I selfishly think, God, why? I wish we had access to the same kind of conversation that Moses was able to have and have that direct pipeline. But in many ways, we do. We have the opportunity to pray to God. And God says, if you will pray, and it is my will, whatever you ask as a Christian will be done. And, and, and I promise you, when we start shifting our prayer life, this, this sermon is not on prayer, but it is so critical in when we're supposed to go out in a community, when we're supposed to take our next steps, it cannot, and, and I mean that literally, it cannot be done without prayer heavily involved. And I promise you, when your prayer life begins to shift away from, I need this, I want this, God do this for me, 
and shifts to, God, these are the things that I want to be able to do for your church. God, I want to go invite these people to church. Give me an opportunity. Give me the courage. Give me the the chance to do this. When you start doing things that coincide with God's will, God starts saying yes a whole lot more. And that's what happens here is when Moses finally clicks here in a minute, God is ultimately going to say, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're really going to see the results. But he says, I'm going to empower you to do this. And I'm going to give you ways in order to do it. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. Remember, this is not excuse me. This is let me go. I don't want to do this. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. God is still talking to him and saying, I, who allows speech to happen? Who makes somebody blind? Who makes somebody mute? Is it not me, God, who controls the very essence of communication? Moses says, it is, it is. And he says, then I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you what to say. But Moses finally is is still saying, God, will you not send somebody else? Will you not send anybody, send somebody else? Now, of course, we know the story here that he ultimately does uh, pair him up with people and and sends him in to talk to Pharaoh, and ultimately God's uh, purposes are accomplished. But I want to look as we kind of wrap this up, and and we're going to continue this. This is kind of part one. We'll dive more into this next week because this topic is huge. How do we be a bright light? But I I want you to kind of get some of the framework for Moses is a man that was not your first pick. He was 80 years old, could not speak, was as as ornery as they possibly could be. And God says, I'm sticking with you. You're my choice. And he says that about us. He says, I know you sin. I know you mess up. I know you think you're not capable. But when I get involved, you are capable. You are able to do more than you ever think possible. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you, before you, before the things you say, before the things you do, and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then Matthew 28 and verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. God is with us. And, and again, just like this morning, you know, this lesson is kind of the foundations for the next three weeks when we're going to kind of dive in more specifically about how are we to glow? How are we to be biblical lights in our community? But I wanted to start with Moses to show you that even when we think things are not possible, if we allow God to be with us from the very beginning, when we align what we're going to do with God's will as best as we can, God can do amazing things. Moses would go on. We know the story of Moses. Moses goes on and is one of God's most incredible leaders that ultimately leads Israel through some incredible things. Think about if Moses had walked away. What if God at any point, of course God knows what's coming and and could have done this with anybody. He could have done this with a monkey. That's the power of God. But he chose Moses. Parting of the Red Sea, all of the miracles that we read about Moses guiding Israel through all of these things. What if, what if he'd walked away? 
What if he just said, I can't, I, I, I can't do it. But God puts people around him. He puts Aaron around him. He puts other people in Moses' life that help him. That's what we're talking about on Sunday morning, about gathering together in community, in ministry. That's the same thing that's happening with Moses. And ultimately, God's, uh, God's desires and God's plans are accomplished. And Moses ha- has some incredible faith that we th- read through Scripture. And I think part of that is because of this right here. He's saying, God, I'm not capable. God, I'm not capable. God, I can't do it. I cannot be your light. Find anybody else. And God says, no, 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 you're it. You're my light. And he says that about all of us. I want you to be my light in all of your individual lives. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, this morning we had an incredible opportunity to baptize a new sister into Christ. It it is truly an incredible, it says in Scripture, that the angels rejoice when, when one who needs saving realizes that and repents and comes to Jesus Christ. The angels rejoice over this. If you're not a Christian tonight, we'd like to offer the invitation and make, uh, make that invitation to you. That, that if you, like Moira this morning, want to join the family of God, that you might make that choice tonight. But like many of us, if you are a Christian already, but there's something in your life that's not what it should be, maybe like, maybe like Moses, you, there's something that God has been calling you to do, and time and time again you say, God, I, it can't be me. I cannot do this but God continually nudges you in the right direction and and you want to set things right and say, God, I'm ready to do what you would have me to do. We'd love to support you in that in any way that we can. If you have any need tonight, would you come forward as we stand and as we sing?